Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Bless God. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? Um, I just want to say um, my son Jacob is, we went to the allergist. He's, a lot of you don't know our journey, but he's had major food allergies and eczema and all the things. And it's coincided with us having mold in our house. And it's been a journey. Um, and we went to the allergist Monday, Friday, whatever. And the test came back. He is no longer allergic to dairy and egg. Praise God. Praise God. And um, he has one food left, sesame, like whatever, no big deal. But the, um, just the mental um, relief as the mom, because when you deal with food allergy kids, it's like every meal. Can Jacob eat this? What can he not have? And it's just like you're always thinking about it. And so um, the victory feels so much sweeter because there was suffering attached. I never thought about that until the song that we were singing, God is Good, um, like he was, he was good through the whole time, through every part of these last eight years, because um, there was a lot. And but he was good to us the whole time, and he is good. So, Amen. Yeah, thank you. Praise God. Amen. So this week we're in portion Noah. So we're, can, you know, we've just begun again the book of Genesis last week. And one of the things within this story, of course, within Noah, there's a story of a flood, a story of great destruction. But after the flood comes a rainbow. And it's God's promise of his faithfulness. You know, we we mentioned, of course, the people of Israel are in a great battle right now. I say great in the form of terrible. Um, And... I was told that right now, like, one of the things that uh, people were doing was creating desserts for their Shabbat dinner that were going to be a rainbow theme, right? And in one way, it's because of the portion of Noah, but so much deeper in meaning is the, the hope of a renewal and a restoration, even in this time of trouble. That even though troubles come, God can redeem his people out of those troubles. And there's a hope and there's a promise. There's a hopefulness in that. And earlier this week, um, as I was thinking, Isaiah 54 was coming to mind. And it, and it has throughout the week. And so one section of Isaiah 54, actually Isaiah 54 and the first five verses of 55 are this week's Heftara. And so just the pondering on it was not for that reason. It was just, a focus. I mean, who knows? Maybe it was for that reason, right? But I didn't perceive it as being like, oh, well, I'm studying these scriptures, therefore this is what the pondering is. But the scripture says, this is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, and I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed, 
but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Now he's speaking to a people at this point in time who are in exile and who are in the midst of troubles, awaiting redemption, and he's encouraging them. And so I want to back up just a little bit and read a little further context around this. Isaiah 54, starting in verse 7, we'll go ahead and read through the chapter 54. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make you your pinnacles of agate and your gates of carbuncles and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Within that passage, there's a great hope, because God's proclaiming what he's going to bring about. The beauty, the security, the protection. And I was thinking on when when he makes the statement, he says, "So th so this says the uh, this is like the days of Noah to me." And I was thinking, well, how exactly is that like the days of Noah? Because what he points to is the promise that he made. He says, "This is like the days of Noah. As I swore, the waters of Noah wouldn't cover the earth again. I've sworn that I will not be angry with you." So within like the days of Noah, he's really looking forward to saying that even though the trouble comes, even though destruction comes, there is hope on the other side. There's preservation through his covenant of peace, through his covenant of peace. And the covenant of peace, I know we've talked about it various times, but it makes me recall Phineas, who was given a covenant of peace, which was eternal priesthood for his zealousness and faithfulness to the Lord. And Yeshua has a permanent priesthood. He's the one who's given as a covenant for the people. And it's through God's covenant of peace, through his Messiah, Yeshua, that we know that the people will be preserved for everlasting life. And this morning as I was, as I awoke, I felt, I felt a newness. And it, what came to my mind was the scripture of weeping may last for a night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. And as I went through my morning, I kind of was, that had kind of gone out of my mind. And I came back in here just before service to sit down in front of the computer to put in a few verses. 
And we play uh, some quiet worship music during our prayer period before service. And on the screen was Psalm 30, verse 5. Okay? <laughs> for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's not an accident. <laughs> you might think, well, that's a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. This is a day where God is saying, it's a time of renewal. It's a time of restoration. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are troubles. But in the midst of the troubles and the trials, God remains the steadfast hope. And in this portion, we see trial. We see deliverance, right, through the ark with Noah and his family. And we see a rainbow come. And, and when a rainbow is seen, there's a blessing that is to be stated that goes along with it. And I'm going to have to memorize this so I can do it next time. But the blessing upon seeing a rainbow is, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who remembers his covenant, is trustworthy in his covenant, and fulfills his word. That's beautiful. Right, because you see a rainbow and you remember the promise, right? And you think of the beauty of the rainbow and you're always trying to look, can I see the whole thing? Or is it a double rainbow, right? I mean, rainbows are wonderful, right? Because they're something that God has placed in the sky that is a shadow of his glory and throne in the heavens. And he gives it to us as a promise that he is with us. So we get to say, blessed are you who remembers your covenant, is trustworthy in your covenant, and fulfills your word. Beautiful. So with this week's portion, of course, we open up with the story of Noah. And in the first, in the first portion, Bereshit, last week, we see the story of creation, and the portion ends mentioning two things. It introduces Noah. It speaks of how degraded mankind has become, and that, that God is going to wipe out man. But it concludes with saying that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord and so it ends with this, this hope. And even in this week's portion, Noah opens up with the, the flood. And then we go through. We see the, the deliverance of Noah and his family. But then not long after that, just a few hundred years, we see the Tower of Babel. And we see man falling again and great difficulty. But the portion concludes with the introduction of Abraham. So at each point, there's this transition of God's doing something. Then there's a fall, but then there's a hope. God's doing something, there's a fall, but then there's a hope. And there's always that theme coming through. So even in darkness, even in great darkness, God sent his son Yeshua to be a hope and a light to the children of Israel and for the nations. So as we ended last week's portion, we were in Genesis 5, 28 through 29, and the scripture says, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the, the, wait, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief 
from our work and from the painful, painful toil of our hands. And then continuing on into verse 1 of chapter 6. Actually, let me go. Uh, I can't remember how to put these in here. So I'm going to go to uh, Genesis 6, verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. So here's Noah. He There's a hope of him being one who will bring relief to the people. But well into his life, we don't see the relief taking place. Instead, we see greater depravity over the face of the earth. And we see God saying that he's going to bring forth destruction as a result. And in the midst of that, Noah found grace in the eyes, found favor in the eyes of the Lord so that he could be brought through. I'm going to come back to, uh, I was debating on whether or not it's going to go into a certain discussion at this point, but I think I'm going to wait for it and come back. Um, let's go ahead and look at what takes place in the flood. God says he's going to bring forth a flood. And in Genesis 7, 11 through 24, the scripture says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The, Lord, or the, the flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed upon the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So what happened in the flood is that God reversed the creation. He turned things back almost to the way that they were before the creation. Getting ready for a new beginning. And he was planning to bring forth the new beginning 
within Noah and his family who had found favor in his eyes. And the only reason that every living being on the earth didn't die was because of God's mercy and compassion, which was extended to Noah, who had found favor in his eyes. It wasn't Noah's perfection that brought about his preservation. It was God's mercy poured out on a man who had a heart for God and who sought to walk with him. And that's one thing that the scripture says when it says that he walked with God. It uses a, a certain congregate, or conjugation of the verb to say that he walked back and forth repeatedly with God. It was a continual walking with the Lord. And so even though the trouble was coming, even though the flood was coming, and there, there was no way for Noah and his family to be preserved were it not God providing the ark, wherein which he would hide Noah and his family along with God's creation, the seven pairs of clean animals and the one pair of unclean that he brought in to keep through the flood. So it was through the righteousness of Noah, coupled with the compassion and mercy of God and his provision, that mankind was preserved. And that's a beautiful picture, of course, of the preservation that we have through Messiah. And I think we're going to talk some in a little bit about the parallels between the ark and Yeshua, our Messiah. But ultimately, or I guess not ultimately, but what I'm focusing on here is that even the name Noah means comfort. His name means comfort. And we know that Yeshua is our comforter, right? The one who brings us peace. Now, when we read earlier about Lamech's blessing over Noah, he said, this one's going to give us rest from all of our toil and from the curse of the ground. Now, the curse of the ground existed back from the garden when Adam and Eve had sinned. And God pushed them out of the garden so that they might still have a hope for a future. And he gave them coverings and still sent Adam and Eve forth. But tradition was that the curse would only last as long as Adam was alive. And that after Adam died, then there would come some degree of peace and restoration from the curse. Now, and that's how the sages say, well, that's, that's one of the reasons why Lamech proclaimed this blessing, because Noah was the first generation after the death of Adam. And so there was this hope that, that things would change, the hope that the curse could come to an end through this one. And one of the traditional explanations of what Noah did to bring relief from the curse of the ground was that he created the plow. He created a way that would bring comfort from the toil, making the ability to work the land easier. And much of the commentary in that even says that the creation of the plow was a mistake because it brought a false comfort, comfort created by man that separated us from the thing that would keep us tied closely to God, recognizing our own 
weakness and dependence on him through our toils. And, you know, Laura was talking about how even in suffering, it made the victory much, great, much greater in some way. Even the difficulty placed on man, when approached in an attitude that brings us close to God, can be used for good. But the, the tradition was, well, his creation of that was actually something that then brought forth greater destruction. But I was also thinking about it in, in a different light. More like Noah came and gave a, a way to find greater comfort. And it could have brought man closer, but man didn't take it and use it for such. Instead, man continued to go in their own way and reject the comfort that was offered to them. Much in the way that Yeshua came and offered comfort that was received by some but rejected by, by most. And because the comfort wasn't received, exile and trouble came. Now, one of the reasons why the sages look at the um, you know, why is it that trouble would come from Noah coming onto the earth? And in Lamech's blessing and saying that this one will bring us peace, just a few verses later, God says that he's going to blot out man. In Genesis 6, 7, I believe this is the verse that has the parallel. I hadn't, because I hadn't planned on going into this. I didn't go back and get the good parallel for you, so you're going to have to work with me a little bit on this. But when God says, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the earth, from man to animal, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky. I have reconsidered my having made them. Within that passage, there are four parallels to Lamech's statement of how, God, how Noah was going to bring peace in the usage of the Hebrew words that parallel between the two. And so within the scripture, there's this connection between the one bringing comfort and the judgment that would come on the earth. So that's part of the reason why some of these discussions of how is it that Noah brought difficulty and then the discussion of the plow. But the thing is, the verse that comes right after that and, say, and when him saying that he's going, reconsidering having made man, he says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And with that grace, people were preserved through the trouble that would come. And so I'm seeing more of a parallel of Noah coming and the preservation through him, despite the trouble, much like with Yeshua coming righteous in all his ways in every generation. And after his coming comes a great judgment, but there's still a preservation and a hope. And I feel like it's uh, somewhat related to what we see with Simeon's blessing. So Lamech made a blessing over Noah. And when Yeshua was born, he was brought to the temple. And Simeon proclaimed the blessing over him in Luke 2, verses 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Yeshua to do for him according to the custom of the Torah, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, have seen your Yeshua, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother mar marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I see in this blessing, there's the hope of the light for the nations and the restoration of Israel. But at the same time, he says, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and a sign that is opposed. So even in this blessing of hope, there's still a trial to come. So I feel like that is another level of looking at the Lamech Noah blessing and what would, what would ensue. And I feel like there's this pattern. There's a comforter who comes whose message isn't received because, you know, Noah preached righteousness for 120 years before the flood came. And yet, even though he preached righteousness, only he and his family were able to enter into the ark. There were none who joined with him. Yeshua came and preached righteousness, right, that was not accepted by the leaders of Israel. It was accepted by tens of thousands of Israel, but not by the leaders, such that the rejection prevented the many from entering in and then comes destruction. In the case of Noah, it was the flood. In the case of Yeshua, it was 40 years later with the destruction of the temple and the ensuing exile. But in the midst of both destructions, the comforter preserves his own through the midst of the trouble and brings them through into a renewed hope. And restoration comes through that vehicle. And one of the things within this, you know, we spoke about the covenant of peace that was given. That we spoke of in Isaiah 54, but in also in Isaiah 42, we see the concept of a covenant being given for the people. Isaiah 42, 1 through 7, Behold my servant, whom, I'm, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. How many of you love that verse? <laughs> a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Because he desires to breathe on that and ignite it. Right? And that breath brings ignition, not extinguishing. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not go grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. 
Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Glory. Glory. He, will give, he gives Yeshua as a covenant for the people. And it's through his Messiah, his covenant of peace, that he brings life to all who call on his name. The hope on the other side, right? The hope that is waiting for us when we go through the trial and the difficulty. And when we go through the trial and the difficulty, we're not alone. We're not alone. God's presence is with us. Now, I know I kind of jumped back and forth. But I want to go now to Genesis 8, after the flood. And actually, we'll go to Genesis 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. Now, I want to pause here because the scripture says God remembered Noah. God had not forgotten Noah, right? So it wasn't as though, oh, yeah, the boat. <laughs> the boat, that's right. Okay, let's go back to Noah. When the scripture says God remembered Noah, he is beginning to move on his behalf in a new degree. So he remembers Noah. He remembers his promise to Noah. He remembers his faithfulness to Noah, and he begins to act on it. In the Hebrew, when we have these verbs of, like, say, remembering, it's not just the aspect of remembering. It's remembering and responding to the remembrance. Just as when we say, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. It's like, listen, understand, take to heart. Right. It's, it goes far beyond just, oh, I heard the word. It's, there, there's then a corresponding action that goes along with it. So God remembered Noah, and he's, on, he's in the ark floating on the waters, and God makes a wind, a ruach, to blow over the earth to cause the waters to subside. Now, when we read that, we need to think of where where we've heard that before, where we've heard it before because we heard it in creation, in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. In Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2, of course, God created the heavens. In the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth. God, actually, I, my mind is blanking. Um, <laughs> that's great, right? We read it last week. I should know it. Come on. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right? So here is the Ruach over the waters. And what God's getting ready to do is to cause the waters to part. 
and his creation. And so you have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. You have the ark over the surface of the water, and you have God's Spirit, his wind blowing over it. And so what we're seeing here is in Genesis 8, verse 1, is we're seeing a glimpse of a new creation being formed. The old had been wiped out with the flood, and now a new creation is beginning. And so as we continue, God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed, and the rain from the heavens was restrained. Okay, so now you have a separation of the waters. So there's firmament between the waters. And the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. So now you have land coming in the midst of the waters. So you're seeing the days of creation repeated. And what's happening is God is preparing a place for Noah to come and live. Because the place for Noah to live was not in the ark on top of the waters. It was going to be in a new creation, a renewed earth. And so that's what he's doing. He's renewing it. The waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him. You now have birds flying in the heavens again, right? Which the birds were on the earth before man was. Sent forth the dove to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. The dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. I want to pause just briefly for a little aside that we're not going to go into great depth. But I just think it's such a cool picture. Um, back in verse 11, the scripture talks about the dove coming back and in her mouth was a fre freshly plucked olive leaf. And the olive... Is a sign, an olive branch is a sign of, of, of peace, right? And when the scriptures, when it says it's a freshly plucked olive leaf, it uses the word taraf. It says it's, it's a freshly torn olive leaf. The sign of peace was torn. And, and why does taraf stand out so much? We'll come to this later on when we get into the story of Joseph. And even in the story of, of Rachel, um, when Jacob was fleeing Laban, Rachel took the teraphim from, from her father. 
and teraphim has no real meaning. And so it's like, well, maybe that was idols. Okay, but teraphim is two teraphs. And when Joseph's coat is brought with blood on it to Jacob, Jacob says, Terof, Terof, my son has been torn. He speaks in two Terofs. Okay, so this tearing of Joseph tied to the tearing of this olive leaf, tied to the tearing of Yeshua, the one who is our peace, the one who is the Messiah, son of Joseph. Even that kind of woven into this story of what made the way possible for the new creation. It's something to think on and ponder on. But there are so many hints just placed here and there within the scripture that we can just so easily gloss over. But God's saying, look, here's my son, here's my peace. Here's the way of provision for life and new creation. I've put the seeds all throughout my word and all throughout it so that you can find life in my redemption, life and renewal and hope that I bring to you even in the time when the earth may look formless and void. No, there's, there's hope coming on the other side. Now, I don't know where I was, but I think it's verse 14. <laughs> okay, the, earth had, the uh, earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And so at that point, that's like an under day six of creation. Everything was back on the earth that was made new, and there was a chance of new beginnings a chance of this hope to be walked in. Okay, so... I figure since we're, we're kind of still tied into this area, you know, I spoke about how in the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and you have this spirit of God hovering over the waters as part of the creation. The, the sages say that that spirit that was hovering over the surface of the waters was the same spirit of Messiah. That was the spirit of Messiah there in the creation, active in the creation. And we know that Yeshua created all, thing, all things, and all things were created through him. Nothing came into being except through him. Now, in this second creation, we had the ark that was walking on the surface of the waters, is what the scripture says. The ark walked on the surface of the waters. It didn't float on the surface. It walked, which is interesting. And the Spirit of God blows over the water to bring forth man and new creation. Now, the word for ark in Hebrew is teva. And according to uh, rabbinic Hebrew, it can mean word or even words of prayer. And so within that aspect, 
When we look at the ark, God said, told Noah to make it covered inside and out with pitch, which is kafar, which is atonement. So this, and God gave, God gave Noah all the design of this ark. Just as when God spoke to Moses, he said, you're going to make this tabernacle according to everything that I've shown you in the heavens. It's a shadow of the earthly temple that will be manifested on the earth. So too, with Noah, God is saying, I'm giving you a heavenly design, right, that you are going to create in the physical. It's going to be a picture of a spiritual reality manifested on the earth that will preserve you through the storm where if you hide yourself in it, it will carry you through into a new beginning. So he says, now take this word and make it flesh and dwell in it. Take this teva, this word that is covered with atonement. Hide yourself in it. I will close you in it. I've given it to you that you can be carried through. incredible incredible to think just as just as the ark was on the surface of the water and the spirit of messiah was over in creation that ark who's a picture of yeshua carried noah through and the spirit of god moved and yeshua is the one who carries us through into the world to come because god promises that a new heaven and earth are coming we sang earlier about Hallelujah, because the marriage of the Lamb is coming. It's coming. There's trials and tribulations that precede it, but there's the hope on the other side. And all who hide themselves in Yeshua, our Messiah, will be preserved. Now, one of the things also that was used, actually, I'm not going to go into that right now. Um, but I noted, noted that the ark drifted. It walked on the surface of the waters just as Yeshua walked on the surface of the waters when he was here on the earth. That was a picture of him being the one who is present in creation and the one who preserves his people. And earlier we talked about God's steadfast faith, steadfast faithfulness and about the rainbow that he put in the sky so I think where I want to go is, is Genesis 9 but I may have to correct that okay Genesis 9 God had sent Noah and his family out of the out of the ark back onto the land. And in nine verse one, he God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, and everything that moves on earth and in all the fish of the sea. In your hand they are given. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, like the green herbage." I have given you everything. And then he goes on, continues. In verse 8, God said to Noah and to his sons, 
As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your offspring after you, with every living being that is with you, with the birds, with the animals, and with every beast of the land with you, of all that departed the ark to every beast of the land, and I will confirm my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I give between me and you, and every living being that is with you to generations forever. I have set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall happen when I place a cloud over the earth, and the bow will be seen in the cloud, I will remember my covenant between me and you, and every living being among all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living being among all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have confirmed between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So again, he says, I will remember my covenant. And he says it's his bow that he places in the cloud. A promise that is given and a hope provided to the people. Psalm 121. says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. You know, when we read about God's promise not to ever slumber or sleep, but to watch over us, to shield us, to carry us through, and the way that he's demonstrated his steadfast love, feel like there's just the connection, of course, to the rainbow of his promise of compassion. And even, you know, we we talked about how the blessing that's said upon seeing a rainbow that says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who remembers his covenant, is trustworthy in his covenant, and fulfills his word. We need these reminders We need these reminders of God's faithfulness, and that's why he continually shows it in the skies. And the reminders that he gives us come by his spirit. They come from the word, the signs in the heavens, and they come from each other, even as we speak into each other's lives. Last week we talked about speaking life and calling things into existence. And encouraging each other, each other along the way. That's what we need to be doing. Reminding each other of God's faithfulness. Reminding each other of the hope. And even, I just love the story 
the testimony that the Lord gave earlier about Jacob and how God is healing his body of allergies. And there are others too, myself included, in the congregation who've seen God moving in varying degrees of healing and fulfilling his promises. And as we go along the path, it's not always easy, but God continues to bring back to mind promises and to show us that he's steadfast in his faithfulness. And we get to rejoice in these things, great and small, with one another. Seeking to renew the hope in one another and for one another, all to God's glory. So as we go, and even as we see Israel in trial, as we see the U.S. in trial, families, may our hope be in the power and the might of Yeshua and His faithfulness, that we would always cling to Him. We would hide ourselves in Yeshua, our Messiah, and encourage others to do the same so that we all may be brought through into the new beginnings that He has prepared for us by His Spirit. All right, let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your goodness and kindness. We thank you for the restoration that you bring, the hope that you placed in our hearts. Lord, give us eyes to see. Lord, bring those who are in chains, break the chains and bring them out. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to behold your beauty, to see your glory and to give you praise, Lord, that our hearts would be ones that are set to thank you for your faithfulness for your goodness and your steadfast love. Thank you, Lord, that you are where our help comes from. Lord, we bless you this day, and we thank you and give you praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.